good morning again, everybody. Uh, you know, it's after not seeing any of your smiling faces for two weeks, it's nice to uh, it's nice to be back with you here on this uh, this glorious Sunday morning. Um, I don't know how oft, how long you guys were outside this past week, but uh, it was it was nice and warm. It was good. Yeah, who was I on the phone with? I called Maddie's grandma to ask her. She's got a truck, and we were uh, we needed we we were going to ask if we could borrow it. And I was talking to her on the phone uh, Wednesday morning, and I said, you know, it's a gorgeous day out, and I was half being sarcastic. It was gorgeously sunny, but it was bitter cold. And she goes, yep, on my walk this morning, I was thinking the same thing, and she wasn't being sarcastic. And I went, God bless her, because when I'm 88, if it's two degrees, I'm staying inside. The walk will be there in the spring. I'm good. I'm good. No. Um, but um, it is glorious. You know, the sun is shining as it shines through right now. Um, it's a reminder that even when it's cold, God is still blessing us because he's given us another day. And uh, he never has to, but he's decided to. And that's incredible, in my opinion. Uh, well, the last time that I spoke, January 7th, I spent some time as we talked about this, right, this deadly switch that we have made as humans in worshiping creation instead of worshiping creator. And if you haven't heard that, it's on Facebook and YouTube. Go, go ahead back and listen to those. Um, uh, listen to that because it kind of plays into what we're talking about here today. This idea of idolatry and how we as humans have said, we will trade all-powerful, omniscient, omnipresent, incredible, glorious God, creator, sustainer of the universe, for myself. I will worship me and what I want, and I will probably create a God that fits what I want, and I will probably call him God, and I will claim that I am worshiping the same God that comes from the Bible, but I will um, choose to neglect the areas of God, Yahweh, that I don't like very much. And I will worship myself. We live in a, in a, in a culture that screams worship of self. I am what is most important. Take a self-help day. Take a self, this, a self this day. Do your own thing, right? And I mentioned in it that Jesus took self-help days. He did. He just did them vastly differently than we do. He didn't go get a massage. He didn't spend 10 hours playing video games. He didn't go get a beer with his buddies. He went and spent time with God. That was his self-help. And you might say, well, yeah, but he was the son of God. Shouldn't he do that? Yes, he should have. So should the rest of us. I'm not saying a massage is bad. I thoroughly enjoy playing video games. I don't get a beer with my friends, but I do enjoy hanging out with my friends, right? I like it when my friends come over, or I, I'm going over to my, one of my friends' house this afternoon to watch some of the football game this afternoon, right? It, none of those things are bad things. What happens is that we have traded God for all of those things, let alone actually worshiping idols, false gods. Now, I said, and I don't believe, that anybody in this room or probably listening has a shrine set up somewhere with a golden calf. If you do... I'd like to talk to you about something because I really like to pretend to be Moses and melt that thing down after breaking some stones over my knee. Time out before I actually jump into this. Read it. It's in Exodus. Moses gets the original Ten Commandments 
written by the very hand of God on thick stone tablets, walks down the mountain, sees the Israelites worshiping a false god, and breaks those stone tablets over his knee. That man's got to have the strongest kneecap that's ever existed. Or that stone was the weakest stone because God had mercy on him knowing he was going to break the first set. One of the two happened. Either way, right? But I don't, most of the time, especially in America, right, we do not worship an actual golden calf or a totem or something like that. We worship ourselves and our wants and our desires. We worship me. And we bow down at the altar of me instead of bowing down at the altar of God. And we talked about all of that a couple of weeks ago. Today, we're going to be in the book of Romans, and there are verses in this, uh, in the PowerPoint. Um, one slide only. So, you're good for the rest. Of, well, no, you're not, because we're singing at the end of service, and it's there. Sorry, Andy. Um, today, we're going to talk about, in Romans, where Paul, where the Holy Spirit, through Paul, tells us about an act of worship that we are supposed to undertake in our lives. Now, you do not have a note sheet in front of you. I do. Um, you don't, because it was an extremely busy week, and I didn't have a chance to make you guys a note sheet. So, you're just going to have to pay attention and take your own notes. There you go. But, in Romans chapter 12, we begin in verse 1, where he says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. This translation says service of worship. You will probably hear worship. You will probably hear me call it act of worship from here on out. That's how I have it memorized. It's the same, same idea, but just so you know. So let's talk about it. The first thing I want to talk about, number one on what would be your note sheet, is spiritual worship. Spiritual worship, right? So Paul begins this and he says, therefore, always remember, when you see therefore, you have to ask yourself, what's the therefore, therefore? It's the best way to remember it. What is the therefore, therefore? If somebody said, if I talk to you and I say, therefore, it's because I have talked for however long, and I'm taking all of that and now condensing it down into this is what I believe because of X, right? So we have to ask, what is the therefore, therefore? We read it in chapter 11. And I'm not going to read all of chapter 11 to you and stuff. Let me just tell you, chapter 11 and pretty much all of Romans up to this point is all about you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. He died for you and rose again. That is what the therefore is there for. Therefore, because Christ had this incredible sacrifice... I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. I've, heard, I've read these verses many, many times in my life. I've had them memorized for years now. And I don't know that I've ever stopped and thought about that Paul says to do this by the mercy of God until I was writing this sermon. I've heard this preached a lot what we're going to talk about, about presenting your body as the spiritual sacrifice, stuff like that. And I don't know that I've ever heard anybody mention that you can only do it because of God's mercy in your life. You can't do it on your own. You don't have the power, the capability to do what must be done by yourself. Isn't it so incredible then that we have a Savior who gives us the power to do what has to be done? 
to do what is required of us. God is not going to give you a commandment and then not give you what it takes to fulfill it without him. Let me rephrase that because that sounds a little strange. God is not going to say, I want you to do X, Y, Z, right? He's not going to say, Sam, I want you to stand on one side of the Grand Canyon and jump to the other side. First off, he's just not going to say that. But two, if he did say that, he is going to give me the power to do it. Now, not in myself. I have to rely on him. That's what I mean. Never, never, never believe the lie. You've probably heard this. God's not going to give you more than you can handle, poppycock. He only gives you more than you can handle. Because if you could handle it, who wouldn't you need? God. He only gives you more than you can handle. It's one of those human ideas to try to make us feel better about ourselves. God's not asking you to feel better about yourself. He's asking you to trust him and rely on his mercy. And so by the mercy of God, by God's grace in your life, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. That's interesting. When we think of sacrifice, oftentimes we think of a dead animal, right? Now, you can sacrifice a lot of things, right? You can sacrifice your time. You can sacrifice your energy, that sort of thing. But the major connotation with the word sacrifice comes from Old Testament times as well as in the Americas and other places where they would sacrifice animals and sometimes people, depending on the religion, to a god slash goddess in order to gain that deity's um, approval in your life, right? So you're, you're gonna, you know, you've got a, a long journey. You probably make a sacrifice to the god Hermes in ancient Greece. He was the god of travelers as well as thieves and a few other things. If you're just trying to be good with the gods, you're going to make a sacrifice to Zeus. When you were going to battle, you would make a sacrifice to Athena and Ares, the god and goddesses of war and then wisdom and battle strategy. Right? So the idea was you kill this animal and you scatter its blood and that creates the idea of a sacrifice. In Old Testament times with the Jews, you did it for the remission of sins, along with a bunch of other things. Go ahead and read about it in Deuteronomy, right? You had to kill something for it to be sacrificed. You couldn't be like, okay, God, I sacrificed this lamb to you, and you place it down on the altar, and then you go, okay, and you pick it back up and take it home with you. That doesn't work. You had to kill it. Or the priest did. And yet, God says, I'm not asking you to kill yourself for me. Present your body a living sacrifice to me. I'm going to tell you something here. You are no good to the kingdom of heaven on earth if you are dead. You're no good to it. You can't, when you get to heaven, you can't help anybody down here. So it's not like you get to heaven, you get power, and you can be like, I can help out the church even more now. Nope. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't want to go to heaven. I'm ecstatic. I told, I told the, the people gathered here yesterday for Lois's funeral, I, I look forward to the day when I see Lois again, when I see my grandma again, and stuff like that. But I'm living, so I'm going to be here. I'm no good to God on earth if I'm dead. Now, one day, when his purposes for me are done, he'll call me home. I hope it's not today. Right? So he says, I'm not asking you to... 
beat your bodies and to kill yourselves and things like that. And you might say, well, yeah, of course, but quite a lot of religions during that time asked you to either mutilate your bodies and sometimes to kill yourself in service of the god or goddess. And God is saying, it's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to do something altogether harder. You've probably heard the saying, um, um, dying is easy, living is harder. It's true. It's way easier to die for your beliefs than it is to live for them. It's way easier. I'm not saying that you can't die in a horrific way. I'm not saying I want to die. I am saying, though, that to live and stand on your beliefs in what God says is significantly harder a job than to die for them. It is. Because in death, there is an ending. And it's with Christ. To live, there's eventually an ending, but we don't know how long away it is. So Christ is saying, I'm not asking you to do the easy thing. I'm asking you, by my mercy, to do the hard thing and live for me. It is your spiritual service or act of worship. See, when we talk about worship, we think about what we just did, where we sang four songs, right? We might think about when you're traveling in the car and you, and you, and the, you turn on Caleb or, or Spotify or whatever, right? You might even go so far as you go, well, no, I'm worshiping God when I, when I do my devotions in the morning. And all of that is true. But do you know the number one act of worship God has asked for us? It's to do what he says. To walk in his will. There is no greater act of worship to God than doing what he has told you to do. There's also no harder act of worship. It's easy to sing. Sometimes it's not. I'm not saying that every Sunday. If I can be honest with you, this Sunday I was sitting up there and I'm going, man, my heart and head are not in this this morning. It's not. That's not an excuse not to worship. Right? I'm not saying it's always easy to sing. I'm saying it's way easier to sing on a Sunday morning surrounded by people that are also singing than it is to go to your job on Monday and live Christ. It's way easier to do the latter, to do the former than it is to do the latter. Significantly easier. Because you're in a peer pressured place, you hear everybody else singing, so you you've got to sing too. Right? Pastor Sam is up there telling you, hey, let's sing this out together. And you've got to either be defiant and say, no, I refuse, or sing along with me. That's a little worship leader tip for you. Tell everybody what to do, and then they feel obligated to do it. It's great. Christ says, by my mercy, do the hardest thing I could ever ask you to do. Live for me. In a society that screams, do what is best for you, Christ says, put aside yourself, lay it down at the altar, and do what I have told you to do. And then he says, to do that, you can't be conformed to this world. Let's talk about that. You have to be renewed in your mind. You cannot follow what the world says. You can't. If you do, you will not be following what God says. Now you might say, Pastor, the world, it's all about, you know, in, in culture we talk about you need to be nice and, and kind and, and generous and all that kind of stuff. And all that stuff is great. But Christ was not crucified because of the great things he did. Christ was crucified because he spoke a message nobody wanted to hear. That's why he was crucified. I challenge you to find a believer who was put to death 
in a, in a place like America or, or somewhere like that. I'm not talking about in the Middle East or somewhere like that where they were, where they kill a Christian just to kill a Christian, right? But I'm saying Christians for the most part are not killed for being generous and doing charity and being kind. Christians aren't killed for fulfilling the fruit of the Spirit. Christians are killed and persecuted because we preach a message and walk a road that the world hates because the world is controlled by Satan, who is the enemy of God. And so we live in this world that, while yes, on the surface it might seem like, yeah, it follows some Christian values. But as soon as you start digging at all, everything the world says flies directly in the face of what God said. And so we as Christians, as humans, have to make a choice. Are we going to follow what God says or not? There's no middle ground. There's no, well, I'll decide later. There's no, well, I'll try to do both. You can't. You will either follow what God says or follow what the world says. You will either conform to this world or be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, humans, humans are like jello. How many of you like jello? In here, any kind of jello. I don't care what kind it is. Jax loves jello. I don't understand it. I, I don't get it. Jello's disgusting. They said, let's take gelatin, which in its originally was animal parts, put some food coloring in it, and some fake flavoring, and make it this weird, jiggly ick. Eat it. I'm good. I'm good. I've had jello many times in my life and never once have I gone, wow, I'm so glad I ate that jello. <laughs> Not once. But jello, right? Jello will conform itself to anything you put it into when it's still liquid, okay? And then it hardens, I put that in quotes, hardens into the shape with which you have put it. Jackson, Nathan, they, like I said, they love Jell-O. So does my dad. My da does anybody in here like Jell-O salad? That disgusting stuff that's got like the pretzels in it? First off, I love pretzels. But then you're like, what if we made them soggy and mixed them with Jell-O? I'm out. I'm good. I'm good. Why ruin pretzels? Putting it with Jell-O. But right they have these jello molds that will come out in the form of Christmas trees and Santa Claus and, and candy canes and stuff like that. And when it goes into the mold, you know what it is? It's a liquid. And then they put it in the fridge for however long you're supposed to, and they pull it out, and bam, it's in a different shape. That's how we are. We are liquid jello. And if we spend too long in any container, we become conformed to that container. And it's very difficult. To unconform us. Have you ever melted jello? I don't even know if it does melt. It probably just sits in the pan and burns. Microwave, there you go. Right? So, but the idea is that we are liquid jello as humans. I don't want Cool Whip either. Have your jello with Cool Whip. I'm going to go have a McFlurry, preferably Oreo. And preferably without my wife in the car because then you know who eats an Oreo McFlurry? Not me. We get in the McDonald's drive-thru, and I go, honey, do you want anything? And she goes, no, I'm good. And I say, all right. And I get myself an Oreo McFlurry, and I take a bite, and I put it down. 
and it seems to just disappear into the ether. And I tell her, if you wanted an Oreo McFlurry, I would have just gotten you one. She says, well, I didn't know I wanted one until you had it. We used to, right, when we'd go out to eat, I'd be like, yeah, let me get a, get a medium fry, and then I also wouldn't eat very many French fries. And now I don't even ask. I just get a large French fry knowing I might get some of those French fries. I learned these tricks having been married only three years. I've started to catch on to certain things. Only some things. Right, but so humans are liquid jello. And the world is a pattern. And if you spend too long in the world, you will become conformed to it. And while God can melt it back down, we can't. And be, we must be transformed, melted back down into that liquid, and put into the mold of God, into the mold of Christ. And it's a lifelong process. We have a big fancy term for it, sanctification. This puts it so much easier. Be transformed, in verse 2, by the renewing of your mind. Notice this. Transformation starts in the mind. It does not start in the heart. We look at the heart as this great thing, but we know that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Only God can. Your mind is the powerful thing. It is your mind. Now, if we walk in the assumption that the heart is the seat of emotions, I won't go into it, but if you remember back a few months ago, we talked about that in ancient times they believed it was the bowels. You have to go back and listen to that sermon. But in today's world, we call it the heart, right? Valentine's Day is coming up. They're already all over the stores, the hearts and stuff like that. And I'm like, can I just have my candy? That doesn't need to be in the shape of a heart. I'm going to eat it anyway. Um, but the heart, we allow it to control us too often. But you know what controls your response to your emotions and therefore controls your emotions? Your mind. And so God says, I'll transform your heart by transforming your mind. It starts up here. Nathan and I, when we were in high school, used to act a lot, and we acted this play called um, um, Gigo. Garbage in, garbage out. Garbage in, garbage out. The idea of it was, whatever you put in is eventually what will come out. Right? We know that food-wise, without getting too disgusting. It's true as well of everything else. You see, if I'm only putting in media that is sad and depressing and hard, you know what's eventually going to just pour out of me? Sadness, depression, sorrow. There's a reason that music has such power over us. When you're sad and you listen to an upbeat, happy song, you know what tends to happen? You get perkier. doesn't fix everything, obviously, but you get perkier. The inverse is true. I can be riding along. Maddie and I were watching a show the other day, a couple nights ago, and I put on, I, I, we were watching a video, and it, they, they played a clip of just this beautiful Martina McBride song called Concrete Angel. Gorgeous song. Terrible song. In case you don't know, it's about a kid who's abused, is killed, and goes to heaven. Oh, it makes me cry. I was very happy. And then I listened to that song. I was no longer happy. Right? What you put in will come out. 
good and bad. If you find yourself, you're like, man, I'm really struggling with foul language, I challenge you, take a look at the music you're listening to, the TV you're watching, and what you're reading. If it's full of foul language, why did you expect anything else? Right? Take a look at what you are putting in. It's why the Bible, Paul also talks about thinking on things that are good and holy and righteous instead of things that are evil. Because it's the mind. And we must be transformed with our mind to prove or know what the will of God is. You want to know? So many people ask me, how do I know what the will of God is in my life? And my first question to them is, well, how much have you spent time talking to him about it? Well, he doesn't answer me. Sure he does. It's right here. You just don't want to hear it. Yes, I don't know what your specific will for, his, for, for, for your life is, right? Andy, I don't know what God's specific will for your life is, but I could tell you exactly what the general will for your life is because I've read this book, right? And that's the way that it goes. You have to be transformed in the mind so you can know the will of God so that you can present yourself as a living holy sacrifice doing the will of God. It's this nice cycle. You can't do the will of God unless you know the will of God. You cannot know the will of God unless your mind is being transformed by God. It makes sense. Let's apply this to our lives. I hope dad's listening out there so he can go tell the, 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 the kiddos. First off, present your body. What do you need to sacrifice? What do you need to sacrifice in your life in order to be able to truly present your body? It may be something, and we've talked about this a lot recently, it may be something that is not evil inherently, right? Sports and, and music and video games and TV and, and, and books and, and family and friends and all that kind of stuff, right? It's not evil inherently. It's not. In fact, they can be very, very good things. But if they are distracting you from God need to cut them out, at least for a time. Everybody has things in our lives. What is it that is yours? And then here's your practical. I was so excited. 52, well, I didn't preach 52 times last year. How many times did I preach? 48, I believe. Nope, 49. I missed a week because I was sick. 49 weeks last year I preached, and I gave you 49 practical applications at the end of sermons. I'm going to keep trying to do it here in 2024. Here's your practical for this week. It's very, very simple. I'm not asking you to memorize anything. I'm not asking you to go talk to your coworkers or your family. I am simply asking you, read this thing every day. Not cover to cover, right? I'm not asking you to read Genesis to Revelation every day. I'm not even asking you to read more than one verse. Whatever it is God puts on your heart. But read it every single day. You look at Facebook every day, you look at Twitter, you look at the news, you watch TV, you read your other books, you'll listen to music, right? Is it too much to ask to renew your mind by reading this book every day as well? To take that time, five minutes. Here's the thing, I'll even give you this. You can audiobook it if you'd like to. I count that as reading. The Bible app on your phone, most of them, if you just hit the little play button, it starts reading it right to you. 
So even if you're like, Pastor, I'm not a very strong reader. Or Pastor, I get up when the sun comes up, uh, before the sun comes up, and I get in my truck and I go to work and I get home after the sun comes da- goes down. I don't have a lot of time to sit down and read it. That's fine. You have a commute. Press play for five minutes on that thing. Instead of listening to the radio or your podcast or whatever it is, just for a few minutes every day, read this book. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for today. We praise you that we can come together and worship you. We praise you that um, you give us the power and ability to do what needs to be done, to do what is right, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. I ask, Father, that you would help us to rely on you, that we would present our bodies as this living sacrifice, an act of worship, and allow our minds to be renewed. And Father, it's in the name of your Son that we pray, amen and amen.